0: Catherine the Fake, the fraudster who conned her way around rural Ireland. She's evil.
1: I mean, she's ruined so many people's lives.
0: She was a very strange individual. A very strange person. I could have called stop at any time, but I was afraid.
1: It's like an eel was oh, moving around nobody will ever catch her She's very clever cunning manipulative person
0: florist turned fraudster Catherine O'Brien has left a trail of destruction in her wake and now she is being hunted by Gardy. i I'm Anne Murphy and this is Catherine the Fake an Irish Examiner investigative podcast Part 2. Gold Digging on Waterford's Copper Coast The quiet little village of Strad Valley on Waterford's Copper Coast is almost like a film set. Leafy trees, picture postcard thatched houses and a spotless square make the friendly village almost otherworldly. It's a many-time Tidy Towns Award winner, as well as competing successfully in the International Entente Florale competition. There's also a mystery lurking in the village's past. The disappearance of postman Larry Griffin from Kilmac Thomas, who went missing on Christmas Day 1929. He had been on his rounds in the beautiful area around Strad Valley and his bicycle was found a short distance away the following day. However, efforts to establish what had happened to the father of three failed and his body was never found. Ten people were charged with his murder but all were acquitted. They included two Gardaí, a teacher and a publican. The case against them did not proceed after the chief witness withdrew his evidence. And in this little corner of West Watford, another mystery lurks. The legacy of Catherine O'Brien, whose shadow falls long over the area, even though she never really lived here for long but it is where she once had a floristry and landscaping business which she registered with the company's registrations office as Strad Garden Centre and Celtic Landscapes on the first day of January 2003. It's also where she built close links with people who later came to rue the day their pets ever crossed with the Butovan native. Her business was described as a garden centre, landscaping and florist, a trade she was well known for around both Strad and Dungarvan. Called Farlito Flower Shop, the business address was given as Stradbally bag on the company documents, and her occupation was listed as a landscape architect. O'Brien listed historic Stradbally House overlooking the village green as the company address on a number of documents in her early years in business. The florist business took up half of the ground floor of Stradbally House. Ironically, the other half was home to the local Garda station. The picturesque West Waterford village is also the location of the magnificent Woodhouse estate, the former home of the Marcus of Waterford, one of whose descendants became embroiled in one of Catherine O'Brien's many schemes. Born into aristocracy, Nicola Beresford Moynihan is the daughter of a lord and the granddaughter of the sixth Marcus of Waterford, Henry de la Beresford. She grew up in the splendid Woodhouse, but now lives in a rented house some miles away from Stradbally. She lost the two properties she owned in the village after mortgaging them to help Catherine O'Brien set up businesses. Today, Nicola lives in rented accommodation several miles from her home village of Stradbally in her second rented home in eight years. She's due to relocate to another rental property in the near future. One of the properties she mortgaged at Catherine O'Brien's behest was Stradbally House, site of Catherine's flower shop. But the upper two stories of that property were Nicola's home. Those two floors of Stradbally House are now also a rental property, listed on the Unique Irish Homes website as a holiday let. In season, they command €1,600 per week for holidaymakers, wanting to take in the ambience of the refurbished building. The listing boasts of a large and unexpected panoramic window, looking out across the rear courtyard onto the raised terraced lawn at the back, with other highlights of the property including a central stairway directly facing the entrance lobby. The listing explains that the ground floor, previously rented to the florist and the Garda station, is currently not available. Nicola took just a few treasured possessions from her past, including her childhood piano and her small reminders of a different life as part of West Waterford's Anglo-Irish ascendancy, when she was forced into rented accommodation. Sitting there now, she recalls her association with Catherine O'Brien as being almost familial, describing herself as having been almost like a second mother to Catherine. But the bond she thought she shared with the Cork woman was shattered when the trust she put in her was abused. She wonders now whether anything Catherine told her was true or whether the confidence she shared were all lies. Their paths first crossed when Catherine ran a flower shop on the main street in nearby Dungarvan. They met through a mutual acquaintance and Nicola agreed to look after one of Catherine's two young daughters. The timing was right for Nicola who wanted a change from the life she had at that time. She explained... At the time, I was living and working on a farm near English town,
1: which is near Stratford. Yeah. Looking after chickens and hens. So I was like, well, I'm quite happy. I'll so you, were on. you minding both? I think Katie was living with Catherine's mother.
2: Oh, OK.
0: And that was in both of it. Yeah. As time went on, Nicola even looked after the little girl when Catherine was away. What Nicola believed to be a bond of friendship was growing between her and Catherine. And it appeared that Catherine trusted Nicola in her business. She decided to get Nicola trained as a florist. Nicola was delighted and when Catherine opened a branch in Tremor in the early 2000s, Nicola began working there. However, that business did not last and the one in Main Street in Dungarvan also closed. She subsequently opened a short-lived florist at the junction of Mary Street and the Square in Dungarvan. But Nicola describes it now as the invisible shop, which you'd walk past without noticing. The village of Kilmac Thomas outside Dungarvan was another location Catherine to with her floristry business. Kilmac Florists opened on the main street in the village in 2007 and the registration form filed with the company's registrations office in June of that year gave Catherine's address as Ballin Road in Dungarvan. It gave her occupation as a florist and listed the company name as Lyndon Lee Limited. Accounts for Lyndon Lee Limited for the year up to August 2007 were signed by both Catherine and Nicola, with both named as directors of the company. Catherine was listed as the company's secretary. Strad Valley House, Nicola's home at that point, was used as the registered office for the company. Nicholas says the business in Kilmacthomas Thomas was successful at the start, but then became unviable, and this is reflected in the accounts. Catherine's interest in landscaping and floristry had seen her do a horticultural course in Watford IT, but after a number of ventures in floristry, she turned her head to other things. Catherine bought a number of units to open a convenience store in Boharine and in Dungarvan's Abbey site. The units are no longer there. They are now apartments, with no sign that the legendary Catherine O'Brien ever ran a business there. However, the decision to buy those ill-fated units changed the course of Nicola's life. It ended with her losing the two houses she owned in her native Stradbally. You mortgaged your two houses yeah. um, to help Catherine get it set up in a business. Yeah, yeah that I was kind of
1: silent. Even though I was working there, I was going to be kind of a silent partner. And it was a convenience store. There like the many reasons why it didn't work. Location, too many staff, the recession. premise was too big. And it was in Dungarvan as it well? It was, yeah, just outside in a place called boring in Milan. And we were there for, I suppose it was three years. But Catherine really didn't pull her weight. Like, she would sit in the office on the computer while I was working outside. And towards the end, I was really the only one working there, doing, like, 12-hour days. Then when I told her, like, it was no longer viable because there wasn't enough money coming in to buy stock, there weren't people coming in, because of the recession. There were a lot of people didn't even know there was a shop there. And so it closed down. And then the banks came in? Well, after that, she had a veterinary supply shop there just in one of the units. And my son worked there for a while until Catherine fired him because she didn't like us teasing her about her curious pronunciations of certain words like cushion, which she said, cushion. And then that was kind of really nearing the end of physical involvement. And then obviously after that, because the mortgage wasn't being paid on that shop, eventually it was taken back and subsequently sold by the bank but I think I had kind of distanced myself a little bit from her at that stage there was other circumstances at home that made it difficult and that was taking up all my time and then you lost your home yeah and what year was that that was 2014 we moved out and we moved to a house up near Ballymacabry which in fact Catherine had found and I since wonder was she trying to isolate me because it was quite away from Mm Stradbally and I was there until all this erupted with the guards getting in touch with me and everything and the last time I actually saw was after I had been interviewed by the guards and she came to the house and I just said my sister and the guards have told me I'm not to talk to you. She actually put her foot into the door to try and stop me shutting it.
0: The mortgage on one was 150,000 euro and the other was mortgaged at 300,000 euro leaving a figure of €450,000 to be paid back to the banks. Nicola remembers Catherine dealing with the purchase.
1: Well, that's when my houses got mortgaged and I trusted her. So I didn't do, I suppose, due diligence about, like, about, you know, what costs this or, you know, I mean, I thought I was going to safeguard my kids, you
0: know. Catherine was supposed to give money to Nicola's family to pay the mortgage, but it never happened. Nicola recalls, She was buying ponies for the girls and mm. buying a horse box and buying a bigger car and, and okay, well, stop the fucking money. The houses were mortgaged with two different companies, including the one which Nicola was living in at the time, the bigger property, Stradbelly House. For a while, she was able to meet some of the payments for the mortgage with rent from the Garda station. She says, "Said so that got all the money that I was
1: getting from
0: the guards' rent." But the guard station closed in Stradbally, and that revenue was gone. Both houses were sold by the banks, and Nicola has been living in rented accommodation for the past eight years. While she is now at peace with her change in circumstances, she is left with lots of unanswered questions. Of her current home, she says. I'd been here five years and five
1: months and previously that I was somewhere for two years
0: and three months in November, I think it was, that we moved. She sold some pieces of family furniture. She doesn't think her children would have wanted to keep it. But she has held on to the piano she played as a child in Woodhouse in Strad Valley, which her father, Lord William Mostyn de la Poor Beresford, had inherited. Her father had served as aide-de-camp to the Governor and Commander-in-Chief of Malta and had also fought in the Second World War. He was also the son of the 6th Marcus of Watford, Henry de la Beresford. Nicola also has some other pieces from her childhood, including a military chest her dad kept in his bedroom. That, she says, will never be sold. The last time she met Catherine O'Brien was more than five years ago, after she herself was interviewed by Gardi about her involvement in the veterinary business which Catherine had planned to open in Botovant.
1: At the time, she had told the guards that she couldn't go for an interview because she was pregnant with twins. And subsequent to that, when I was talking to the guard who'd interviewed me, I said, she's no more pregnant than I am because she was able to do up her coat and if she was due twins in two months there's no way that coat would have done up probably not I <laughs> so that was like, like I saw her a couple of times in town but not to talked to So,
0: and how do you feel about her now? she's evil
1: I mean she's ruined so many people's lives with obviously no thought to what she's doing, that it's all about money.
0: The business Advanced VetMed Ireland never opened, but is at the heart of the judgment made in favour of the Criminal Assets Bureau in February about whether a 151 registered Land Rover Discovery was bought using the proceeds of criminal frauds by Catherine. Advanced VetMed Ireland Limited had no official connection to Catherine and at County Clare Dairy Farmer was the 100% shareholder. When the company was incorporated in 2013, the business address was in Dublin, that of a company assisting company startups. The directors of AVMI at that point were attached to the Dublin company, which has not been involved in any wrongdoing. Five days after the company was incorporated, new directors were listed on a B10 form for the company's registrations office with Nicola beresford moynihan named as the company's secretary. She was also named as a director along with the Clare dairy farmer. In the memorandum of association for the new company the objective of AVMI was to carry on the business in providing veterinary and agri sales. 18 months later in May 2015 New directors were named on another B10 form for the company's registrations office. Nicola, whose surname was spelt incorrectly on the document, Beresford instead of Beresford, remained a director, this time along with a County Limerick farmer. The Clare Dairy farmer was named as company secretary, replacing Nicola in that role. Nowhere on the documents was there any reference whatsoever to Catherine O'Brien. The judgment by Mr Justice Alexander Owens in February said
2: Catherine O'Brien was not a director or shareholder of AVMI Limited. She set up this company but she did not want to be a director. She arranged for Nicola Beresford to act as a director. This lady who was in her 60s had previously been involved in a business venture organised by Catherine O'Brien.
0: The judgment noted that the previous venture had failed proving to be costly for Nicola and her family. It added that Catherine O'Brien was not a signatory on the company bank account for AVMI. The judgement further stated that the paperwork submitted to the Motor Taxation Authorities for the 2015 Land Rover Discovery showed that AVMI was the owner of the vehicle. A change of ownership of the vehicle was declared in April 2015 in favour of Catherine O'Brien's uncle. The judgment continued.
2: The signature of the owner in manuscript is Nicola Beresford, Advanced Vet Med, Kate O'Brien. The purported signature of Nicola Beresford was not genuine.
0: The judgment added that Catherine O'Brien
2: was not entitled to sign a change of ownership form for Land Rover Discovery 151C Took 667 and she was not authorised to put the signature of Nicola Beresford on that form.
0: As the activities of Catherine came under the radar of Gardaí, the paper trail with Nicola's name led to her being interviewed by investigators. She was led to be able to show Gardaí her bank account, with fake all in it, to prove there was no wrongdoing on her part. While on the one hand Nicola lost two houses because of Catherine, the Cork woman was the one who found her a rental property to move to when that happened. There were other generous gestures at times too, including a trip to Lapland for Catherine, her daughters and Nicola, which Catherine paid for. Nicola
1: recalls. There's a sleigh I'd pulled by huskies, amazing houses that were actually made out of logs. Whose idea was it? Catherine's. It was Catherine's, yeah. The, the, obviously, the children were small at the time and take them, you know, to see the real Santa Claus in Lapland. Yeah, it was, it was quite a thing. And I still, on my Christmas tree, I have ornaments that
0: I got in Lapland. All Nicola needed to contribute to that trip was spending money. Those happy are generous gestures, though have all been overtaken now by the irrevocable changes wreaked in Nicola's life by the woman she once considered a friend. She is sorry to have lost touch with the daughter she looked after for Catherine and often wonders how she is. Nicola has tried to move on, but admits she has cuttings of newspaper articles about Catherine over the years, a catalogue of the life of someone she thought she knew. Now she knows that she never knew her at all. She's evil.
1: I mean, she's ruined so many people's lives with obviously no thought to what she's doing that it's all about money why didn't somebody tell me are you angry about that? well it's not going to do any good no it's not going to bring it back you know, no it would be nice if, if somebody had said don't get involved with her mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah I was like a second mother to her and minded the girls and you know and I think that's What kills me more is that somebody you consider a friend would do that to you. It's, I suppose, how you overcome it, how you stand up to it, how you still find the good in people. I must admit, I find it harder to trust people now. But there were still good people out
0: there and, you know, people who you can call on when you need help. Mm -hmm. And you grew up in Valley, it was your home. Yeah. You, uh, as you mentioned previously, you you were from a different background, I suppose, to Catherine, very different background. You attended school in in England when you were growing up. You were in the Woodhouse Estate. So uh, how was your life, I suppose, when you look back? What kind of a... I so think she, she's really taking you for it.: It's life, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, when, when you're
1: 17, 18, you know you have like you get married and it lives ha- you, happily every after. It doesn't happen. <laughs> no. I lost it, my first daughter at birth, My marriage didn't last. Do you know, but that's life. Do you know, but I, I mean, everybody has a story. Everybody has gone through shit in their life. It's I suppose how you overcome it, how you stand up to it, how you still find the good in people, I must admit I find it harder to trust people now, but there are still good people out there and you know people who you can call on when you need help. Mm-hmm. Or Yes, it's different to how I could grew up, but in a way, how we grew up was quite isolated, mm-hmm. um, especially with my parents were older when they had me and my sister, and my father especially was very, private. you want to be friends with them? You know, whereas mm-hmm. I'm glad that I'm able to be friends with whoever I want to be friends with the same for my kids that they Mm -hmm. can be friends with whoever that's like the big walls yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and then I have four beautiful grandchildren so you know they're the bright part of my life there is a future there for you oh yeah Yeah. hopefully yeah I would like to see them grow up and be successful hopefully
0: and and not be Catherine over and not be Catherine. over or anyone like her. The Gardaí are looking for Catherine O'Brien. The Irish Examiner is looking for her too. If you have information relating to her whereabouts, contact me on examiner.ie. Make sure to listen to part three. It's a long way from Claire to here to learn how Catherine O'Brien defrauded her lover and tried to isolate him from his family. Catherine the Fake was researched and written by me Anne Murphy The podcast was produced by Deirdre O'Shaughnessy recorded by Jim Collin with sound design by J.J. Vernon Catherine the Fake features the vocal talents of Jim Collin Owen English Neve Griffin Esther Irwin Leo O'Shaughnessy and Michael Gary and the graphics were done by Tiernan King and the Irish Examiner visual design team Photography and video used on irishexaminer.com by Dan Linnehan and Eddie O'Hare. If you have information about Catherine O'Brien and her whereabouts, contact me on anne.murphy at examiner.ie and keep an eye on irishexaminer.com for more updates on Catherine the Fake.